0: Welcome to The Yoga Show from Yoga Journal, a podcast where we discuss all the creative, practical, and spiritual issues flowing through the yoga community today. I'm your host, Lindsay Tucker, Executive Editor of Yoga Journal, and in this podcast, we produce four-episode series around the themes of each issue of our magazine. Our July-August issue is all about energy. Physical energy fuels us and jumpstarts our practices, while emotional energy governs how we feel in any given moment, and research shows it has a profound effect on our health. Even someone else's energy can make or break our day. So how can we channel it or change it when we need it most? In this episode, we sat down with our July-August cover model, three-time track and field Olympic gold medalist and YTT 200, Tiana Bartoletta, to chat about overcoming health challenges, practicing yoga for athletic performance and overall well-being, and harnessing energy to bring home the golds. Our conversation with Tiana took place in two parts first in early March before COVID-19 canceled the whole world's summer plans, including the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, and then again over Memorial Day weekend so we could catch up with her about what's happened with her, her training, and Olympic plans since then. So let's jump into our conversation with Tiana. Hello. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for welcoming us into your beautiful home. It's my pleasure. Today we're going to talk a little bit about energy and yoga. And as an Olympic athlete, I kind of think of you as a superhero. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So what I'd love to get is a little bit of your origin story. Oh, yes.
1: Okay, so I was born and raised in Elyria, Ohio, uh, which is a really small town. We had one high school, and I played all the sports, volleyball, basketball, track and field. Um, I did this until my sophomore year in high school when my dad knocks on the door to my room and he's like hey I need to talk to you and I'm like what's up dad because he's a man of few words so if he (laughs) says he wants to talk to you it's kind of like oh crap right and so he said your mother and I have decided that you absolutely must go away for college and I'm like duh like who's trying to stay in Elyria Ohio (laughs) But there was more, he said, and we have absolutely decided that we're not paying for it. Oh. So you need to figure out how to get to college. And from that moment forward, I have no issues academically. I was on honor roll and national honor society and AP classes, all that stuff. Just certified nerd, no problem. But I didn't know anything about academic scholarships. I only knew about athletic scholarships. So I looked at my skill level in the other sports. <laughs> and volleyball, I, I'm left-handed and I didn't know how to serve overhand. I would serve underhand and it would not really clear the net a majority okay. of the time. So like not getting a scholarship.
0: I literally had nightmares about playing volleyball in high school. So yeah, sound great.
1: I, I mean, I did too, because my parents were, I didn't want for anything, but they were kind of cheap. <laughs> and they wouldn't send me to the camps to learn the skills that I needed to. Yep. And I'm not that tall either. So there wasn't a lot. I'm five, five and a half. Okay. There's not a lot going on for me in the volleyball department. For basketball, uh, a sport I really enjoy playing and watching, I would get the ball on a fast break and sprint and leave the ball behind. <laughs> Because my ball handling skills were not awesome, but I was fast. And so that, I was always turning over the ball. It's like I, I hustled and did all this stuff, but I also was probably number one in turnovers. So track one by default. And once I chose track and field, we really focused on getting better and going to workshops and clinics and talking to coaches and people who knew way more than us. And that really started to develop me as an athlete. And I earned a scholarship. Uh, both academic and athletic, ironically, to the University of Tennessee, and that's how I chose track, but how I became uh, kind of this version of the athlete I was. It was very deliberate and intentional, and all started because my dad... And I made a deal that I needed to get to college for free. And when we made that deal, I said, I did the math. And if I earn this scholarship, you and mom should still buy me a car because you get off cheaper than four-year tuition. And so I got I signed the scholarship and I got my car. And that is my origin story.
0: What kind of car was it? It
1: was a Saturn. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it was a Saturn. I was super proud of that Saturn though. Oh, yeah. yeah. The one with three doors.
0: Oh, cool. So I thought I was
1: the coolest kid on the block.
0: Yeah. One of my best friends had a Saturn and my boyfriend had a Saturn in high school. So oh. a lot of good times in Saturn. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not like that. I didn't want to say anything.
0: <laughs> I knew what everyone was thinking. I was thinking about, I was like, and I'm just going to keep rolling through that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, so take us from college to the Olympics. Okay,
1: so in college, my sophomore year in college, I won world championships at 19. Nobody expected it. Look, I kind of expected it because I was in my body and I knew what I could do, but no one else did. And at that point, I um, was offered a pro contract from Nike. And so from 19 years old, I was a pro athlete. And then I proceeded to suck for seven years. How <laughs> so, so? Fast forward to 2012. <laughs> uh, I just lost my way because to win something like that at 19, um it made me a little bit arrogant, to be completely honest. And I didn't it didn't fuel my hunger to continue to be better and find ways to improve. Instead, it made me complacent. And so I spent seven years being mediocre and trying to figure my way back. I finally got back to that in 2012 as I was deciding to leave the sport. And so yet again, I had buckled down and started to focus on the sport in order to return to school because I was still making good enough money to pay tuition and all these things. And I made the Olympic team.
0: And was that expected?
1: not not at the beginning of the year not at first and as I started to do the work which is why I tell so many people no effort is wasted as I kept showing up and going to training and and kept you know choosing the right food one meal at a time because a whole lifestyle change in dieting is overwhelming but as I was doing it making good choices one selection at a time day after day after day I started to notice my body was changing my mechanics were changing and I became uh, an elite athlete again. And so by the time I got to the Olympic trials, I knew that I was a different athlete and I could make that team.
0: And had the Olympics been a goal for you?
1: It really wasn't, uh, not not specifically. It's one of those huge goals that's overwhelming and looms over every athlete, because for the most part, that's the pinnacle of your sport, especially for track and field, Uh Most Americans don't think about track until an Olympic year anyway. So that's a goal for all of us. But it's a really hard team to make. Only three people can make the team in any given event. And so, yeah, you think about the Olympics, but you also wonder how realistic it is for you. Because for every three people that make the team, there are like hundreds of people that don't who are still solid athletes. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something that I was born or running around the neighborhood jumping over sewers and stuff like, I'm going to the Olympics, <laughs> right? I never did that.
0: So what happens when you make the Olympic team?
1: Somebody throws you a flag. Um, a flag mysteriously appears from somewhere. You grab it and you, you take your victory lap. Um, you get interviewed on the field. You go into your press conference. And shortly after that, maybe maybe even the next day, you go to team processing where... Anyone who is an Olympic partner has like a booth set up and you wander from booth to booth, like getting sized for your opening ceremony outfit Mm -hmm. and your watch and your ring. And it's just this really cool experience and everyone's like, you made it, you did it. (laughs) It's it's like winning the Hunger Games. It's like that whole little victory tour that happens. That's what it feels like. That's amazing.
0: And We had a quick little conversation um, before this and you had said that Olympic training or was it the Olympics is like the Hunger Games? Yeah,
1: the Olympic trials are like Hunger Games because, I mean, it's just you have to show up on that day and it doesn't matter. Obviously, it matters all the training that you did to that point, but your ranking and how you performed at any other time does not matter on that day. That's what it is. Are you going to walk out of the arena alive or not? Period. And so that's what it feels like to me when I go into the Olympic trials. It's it's very cutthroat. Uh, Other countries have like a selection committee and they decide who gets to go. And we literally just fight it
0: out. Mm -hmm. What's the craziest thing that happened in the Olympic village?
1: I wouldn't know. I've never stayed in an Olympic village because i wanted to win (laughs) (laughs) and you did yeah it's a party in the olympic village there's a 24-hour mcdonald's and i don't eat like that anyway uh so it's really easy to get thrown off in that environment um we talk about we joke uh when we're on the team that there's two type of olympians like the ones that come to win and the ones on a tourist visa who Mm -hmm. are just like happy to be here they're gonna trade pins and stuff and go to all the parties and the socials Uh, i wasn't that type i really wanted to come home with the medals
0: speaking of mcdonald's earlier you when you were telling us how you sort of became an Olympian, how you just ended up qualifying. Uh, you said that you were started to make little choices one by one and it started with what you were putting in your body. And so I am interested in your diet and what sort of shifts that you found m- work best for your energy levels and just to be the best.
1: So back in 2012, when I made my first team, I was eating a lot of steak and. I ate a lot of pasta. I was eating a lot uh, because I was burning a lot and working hard. Very low sugar, though. I think that's one thing I did well. I was eating six times a day and not indulging in a lot of junk or candy. Now that I'm older, it's harder and things have changed. So I don't eat a lot of meat anymore at all. It just makes me feel lethargic, and I had to let that go. So I went from eating like a pound of steak a day to... No, no red meat. I just can't handle that anymore. Uh, no dairy. Basically, I'm kind of like flirting with vegetarianism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and I say flirting because I can't commit <laughs> fully and I still like seafood. So right now it's really just low to no sugar, very few carbs, and I try to get as much protein as possible and eat a bunch of small meals throughout the day so that I'm never actually hungry. I shouldn't ever feel hungry. Um, it's like going to a gas station and just topping off Mm -hmm. without the tank ever dropping below half. Mm -hmm. And that keeps the metabolism up and keeps me pretty energized for all the work that I need to do in a day.
0: Mm -hmm. And what's one food that you can't live without? Mm
1: -hmm. Shrimp. Yeah. I think it's shrimp now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's what it is. And what are your goals? Your biggest goals heading into trials.
1: So for me, in my specific case, is to be healthy and to be whole, so that I have a fighting chance. Um, and then once I get there with all the qualifying marks, it's honestly just to—I call it my effort zone because, like, I'm here now. There's nothing. There's nothing to worry about. Nothing to fear. Nothing to be nervous about. You just. You essentially just shoot your shot at that moment. And a lot of people laugh at how I approach these things because they expect it to be um, more profound than I just show up. (laughs) (laughs) But that is really what it comes down to because all of this training, all the repetition takes over at that point. So all I really have to do is show up and trust that all the training and all the work that I've done will I... I will be present enough to execute all those things on that day. And that's really all that I care about doing because to work that hard and then get there and be so scared that you don't do anything that you've been trained to do is a feeling that I've known before and can't, don't sit with very well. So I will never do that. So showing up is the goal.
0: More from The Yoga Show after these quick messages. do want to get to the yoga and your practice and how it informs your track training. But before we go there, um, you have experienced um, some health issues this past year. Mm -hmm. And um, we had talked about energy. And I think that plays in really well to the message about energy and our bodies. And I kind of wanted to let you tell the listeners a little bit about what's been going on there and how yoga has helped.
1: Yeah. So I had been training really hard in the Netherlands and I kept getting these emails in all caps, so like the equivalent of being shouted at, <laughs> by um, the one of the governing bodies that does our drug testing. And he was essentially saying, like, you are severely anemic, go to the doctor right now, these numbers are bad. And I knew that I was feeling dizzy in training, but I was able to rationalize. I was like, well, you are running a lot, you are doing a lot, the weights are heavy, um, and so it wasn't as urgent as I I didn't treat it as urgent as it should have been treated. And I returned home. I went to the doctor. My ferritin level. I think was at 5 at the time, and the doctor said I needed to be at 40. So wow. it was really, really bad. And he kind of gave me this look like, how are you walking, let alone training? Wow. Um, we I started getting iron infusions to manage it, but it wasn't getting better. And it turned out that uh, was it, I was experiencing too much blood loss, which I thought was related to my menstrual cycle. And it's like, yay, females, so we have to deal with that. It was related to the fact that I had a fibroid tumor, which apparently 70% of all women will experience at some point. And I had no idea that it was such a high number, but it went undetected for a long time. And that tumor was essentially hemorrhaging, causing me blood loss and severe anemia. And uh, I will say that if it weren't for being on the mat as often as I am and the body awareness that yoga will ultimately cultivate in a person who's paying attention and breathing and flowing with their body and being honest about the poses they're in, I probably wouldn't have noticed as soon as I noticed uh, the things that were going on with my body. But fast forward, I got emergency surgery. Um, I learned about the tumor at five. I got the surgery by eight. <laughs> it was like a very rapid wow. situation. And I'm on the mend And my energy, is I definitely feel like a new person. Um, But yoga taught me to pay attention. And I think a lot of us don't pay attention to what our body is saying. And if you don't spend time quiet, you can't even hear what your body is saying. And so I think that's one of the connections to yoga for me that I cherish the most.
0: Yeah. And when was that that you found out about all of this?
1: Mm. So the first... I call it the anemia warning, came in August. I had the surgery almost three months ago. I had a blood transfusion uh, a month ago, and now I'm feeling a lot better. My energy is coming back.
0: Awesome. And what was that like to um, be going through something that severe when you're prepping for Olympic trials?
1: It was frustrating, actually, because there's this whole calendar that will go on without you. If your body's not ready. And so I alternated between being frustrated and sad and grieving and all of these things. But I just, I had to keep coming back to um, one of my favorite texts. And we talked about this, the Bhagavad Gita, that's just like, look, kid, you're not even entitled to the fruits of your labor. So just keep showing up and keep doing the work. And that kind of kept me, but... Uh, if I let myself go down that rabbit hole, yeah, it sucks because not only are the Olympic trials coming up and the Olympic Games, but I'm the reigning Olympic champion. It's like, can I want to be whole so I can try to defend this title, mm-hmm. but it's a, a lot to overcome. It's already hard enough healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's a lot. The, something that I um, deal with both on and off the mat actually on a regular basis to try to stay
0: sane. And you said something also that people are always surprised about the correlation between yoga and track.
1: Yeah, people are always surprised because, especially in the athletic world specifically, yoga just means stretching. And a a lot of times when I post something on Instagram, there will at least be two comments like... Uh, I would love to try, but the way my flexibility set up, <laughs> I can't do it. And I'm just like, yeah, it's not that. It's not really about that. I'm sure that flexibility will come if you continue to practice, but you definitely don't have to be flexible to start. Yeah. Uh, for me, yoga started as a really, really intense practice with one teacher. Her name was Becky in Tampa, and she asked me to stand in Tadasana and spread all of my toes. And it's not something you really think about. But, like, I'm staring at my pinky toe now, like, (laughs) move, move. And she's like, you mean to tell me you're an Olympian and you can't move your pinky toe? Like, you don't have that kind of body control where you can, like, spread your toes. And that told me that there was still another level that I needed to access. And even in a position like downward facing dog, when, like, all of your fingers need to be into the mat, and you kind of like corkscrew your arm bones and all this stuff that you don't really think about when you just see the pose. That helps me be a better athlete. It also helps me be a more coachable athlete. Because when you're in a yoga class, you're getting all these cues from the teacher. And if you're listening, you're trying to make those adjustments for yourself. When I'm on the track, in the starting blocks, there are specific angles that my shins and ankles need to be at. And when I hear that, I can do it. It's because on the track I do it, on the mat I do it. I mean, to me, they really go together. There's, It's not really just about, oh, I'm going to do a little bit of yoga after because I need to stretch. Mm-hmm. It's way more than that.
0: Mm-hmm. And you said you found yoga because you were having sleeping problems, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, sleep doesn't often come easy to me. And yoga was put into my program originally as a way for me to unwind because the type of athlete I am as a long jumper and short sprinter, we really train to overload my central nervous system. The problem with that is sometimes you can't get offline and unwind so you can recover. And so we began to use, and I say we, I mean my coach and I uh, at the time, decided that yin yoga would be a good counter to all of the training that I was doing on the track and so it's really restorative and you've got like I've got all these props and I'm for the first time feeling my body kind of unwind from the day and I noticed that I was able to sleep better so it became I call it my gateway drug into yoga because I was like wow this is really powerful practice then really good yoga teachers um, and this one specifically her name's Marie Mirbach in Sarasota she would do what I call dharma drips. It's like you think you're just laying on a bolster, (laughs) letting gravity kind of just melt away. But really you're getting all this philosophy and you're learning things that maybe you didn't know or you weren't still enough to receive before. And it really just opened me up to yoga as a philosophy as well.
0: Has that been useful to lean on as you're heading into maybe the toughest Olympic trials of your life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, you got to have faith in something, right? And and yoga really teaches me to have faith in myself and the work and the effort, which I am 100% in control of. And it's really a relief to lean on that rather than all of these maybe uncontrollable external elements that a lot of people depend on to achieve goals. This really keeps me grounded, and it's just like keep grinding away at it, which is what's going to be required for this specific goal.
0: And what's your daily practice like?
1: Yoga or the yeah. track?
0: Well, tell us a little about both.
1: It's all yoga anyway. <laughs> um, so I, on any given day, there's always a, a track session for the most part. Um, I do speed and power. So if you came to a practice, that just looks like I'm running a bunch of short sprints and resting for really long periods of time. I think they always, people think that sprinters don't do a lot of work because we rest a lot. But um, going that hard for that fast is like a full body blast and you have to recover from it. I hit the gym and lifting is one of my favorite things. It's a socially acceptable outlet for anger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I like to use it that way. Um, so I'll start in the morning with like a, I call it an AM body scan, which is for all the yogis, just a short yoga flow at home where I'm moving a little bit slower, trying to be dynamic, just trying to see where there's any stickiness in my body so that it can form the warm up in the workout that I do later in the day. Uh, once I take care of that, I hit the Try to hit the recovery corner, which is back there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And just take care of things that I learned about my body, moving it in the morning. Uh, Then I head to the track. And there I'll do a whole warm-up and kind of do a little, like, maybe less than five minutes. Just, like, hit some quick poses to see how I'm feeling. Every now and then, sun salutations, um really fast actually gets the heart, my heart going and I feel really good and I can jump right into a workout after that and um, I do a p.m. body scan sometimes at the track after the workout to kind of compare to the morning see how I'm feeling see what I need to work on in the evening and then that's it but it doesn't sound like a lot but it takes up a lot of time Sounds like a lot. (laughs) It takes up so much time. So, yeah, always moving. And even when I'm not on the mat, I still, it's very much a, a yogic practice.
0: Are there any specific poses that you use to either open up your energy or close off from vulnerability?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, when I want to essentially fortify myself, I'll probably take child's pose and just kind of lay there because it feels safe. It feels like almost like the fetal position, you know, kind yeah. of um, turned inward. And when I'm when I'm ready or want to be open, I actually do um, sun salutations um, because it the the act of like rising and just like. Stephanie Snyder calls it, offering up the prayer, like with your arms open and you're just like basically saying, here I am, I'm ready to be of service. So a few rounds of that and I'm like, let's go take over the world. And if I'm not feeling that, I will, I'm more on the mat, you know, on the floor poses, more restorative poses that kind of just like ground me and make me feel safe.
0: Yeah. What do you think is the most grounding?
1: Savasana. (laughs) Savasana with bean bags, like to wait. Yeah, the weighted bags. That's the best. With an eye mask on. Yeah, I can just sink into the floor. I've I have once done um, a yoga session at night at home and woke up the next morning. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I was there all night. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great.
0: The yoga show will return in a moment. Something that I read on your Instagram that resonated with me was being an empath and um, how energy affects us. I also struggle from empathy struggle. It's a mm-hmm. gift. Is it a curse? I never know. Um, it's both. Yeah. <laughs> so, how does it affect you? And what do you? What would you say to fellow empaths out there?
1: So, it affects me because I have a very public platform and a lot of people you know reach out to me which I love and it's 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 who I want to be and how I want to serve the world that comes with um receiving a lot of kind of sad stories sometimes tragic sometimes things that are like oh my gosh you you experience that when somebody tells you a story you just feel heavy after and so there's a lot of that there cuz there aren't too many people in my DMs, like, you can do it. <laughs> like, sending me inspirational quotes, you know, it's like, there's not a lot of, I'm not receiving a lot of that, but I am getting a lot of, like, I was injured, I'm upset, or I've been through this, or I've been in this kind of relationship, how did you pull through? And so, yeah, sometimes at the end of the day, just feeling messages, I feel pretty empty. Or if I sit around and have a lazy day, I feel horrible because that's just not the energy that I uh, thrive in or produce. And so my advice to people who experience that is to do whatever it is that brings you joy or recharges you. And like do it unapologetically. If you need to be by yourself, ask to be by yourself because that downtime will allow you to be of service to people later Mm -hmm. in a better, higher form. For me, I like to drive to the marina and just stare at the water. I probably look strange. I probably look like a zombie. But I'm literally recharging so that I can go back and be a good friend, be a good listener, be a good athlete. And it's really important that we do that. And I think empaths particularly need to not feel guilty or that it's selfish to protect their energy that way.
0: Yeah. I think you also had a message, too, for how to treat your empath friends, right?
1: Oh yeah. It was check on your empath friends. We're not okay. (laughs) It was during a particularly toxic news cycle I felt in my opinion. And I remember just like how much effort it took for me to get out of bed and then come upstairs and make coffee because like I'm bombarded with all of this crap just from all over. And I felt like if I'm feeling this way, And I do everything possible to try to protect my energy. I can't imagine what my empath friends are feeling like right now. And so it was kind of like, this is a public service announcement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you have empath friends, please check on them because we are not okay. I think in the actual post I said we are one piece of bad news away from booking one-way tickets to Bali, the Amazon, (laughs) like somewhere where we can be untouchable And that's important. Reach out to the people that you recognize are always the ones that people go to with their problems because you're a good listener or you have good advice. But all of that is taking and we need to receive something in return, even if it's just you giving to yourself.
0: Yeah, I love that. So let's transition from the emotional aspect of energy to the spiritual side. Did you grow up with a spiritual practice?
1: I actually didn't, so I grew up uber-Christian, if I can say that, but my dad was a martial artist, and the type of fighting that he practiced, they actually did a lot of meditation, Hmm. and So I was very, I was familiar with the fact that like dad had to go places to get ready for his fight. I understood what meditation was, but it wasn't something that he passed on to us as kids and everything else was um, just Christian faith based. So I didn't really grow up with the, it wasn't foreign to me, but it wasn't something I was practicing either.
0: And when you found yoga, did you find any similarities from the faith that you grew up with that you that resonated with you?
1: I actually did. It so I classify myself as a seeker. Like I'm always looking for answers. I'm always devouring books about a range of subjects. And so uh one thing I struggled with when I was I'm going to call it transitioning from basically The Christian faith to what I now practice, which is like a blend of yogic philosophy and Buddhism, I wanted to find um, the similarities because I believe that they did exist. And um, one of the places I found it was in this book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And I just thought it was really interesting that all of these at their foundation are basically preaching the same things. And so it really freed me to step into yoga philosophy without feeling like I was turning my back on a whole childhood of indoctrination, I guess <laughs> I would say. And yeah, that's they're definitely similar if you're willing to to look. And my mom for a long time was um, apprehensive to do. Uh, yoga class she didn't know what namaste meant she didn't know Mm -hmm. she she thought that it maybe was calling on a god she didn't believe in and she was very uncomfortable and so my journey has actually opened up my entire family to really just searching themselves and what it means to have faith and to walk in that faith and what it means to be spiritual and how to share it without beating people over the head with it you know it's like changed a lot of things for all of us.
0: And how has your perception of yoga changed then as you've moved deeper into your practice?
1: So in the beginning, it was just another workout for me. It was another session added to my training program to help me recover. And then as I got uh, exposed to the philosophy, it really became more valuable to me as a spiritual practice. And it did affect who I became as an athlete because suddenly I'm not just this um, one dimensional athlete on the track, I uh, I know myself, right? And so when I'm out there, I know who I am, I know how I prepared, and it's really grounded me in a way where I'm mentally tough. and um, it might seem counterintuitive for an athlete that throws a bunch of weight around and and it's very aggressive and in a somewhat violent event to be made stronger by yoga, which is such a peaceful and like airy and flowing practice. But this is who I am. This is like the power of and, right? I am both aggressive and grounded and at peace. And the practice of yoga, as it became more of a spiritual practice, allowed me to accept all those things about myself because I'm not one thing or something else. I'm not just an athlete. I'm an athlete and a yogi. I am both very grounded and sure in my preparation and scared to death. (laughs) And I understand I can hold space for both those things because that's all yoga is, is like the balance between effort and ease and breathing in and breathing out. And so it's just me and it helped me become more of who I'm supposed to be.
0: So were you one of the athletes that thought that yoga was just stretching in the beginning? No. No. Too smart for that.
1: <laughs> no, because it, I started with yin yoga, right? Which is not that. It's, that's very restorative and very grounding. And so already I understood that um, what I needed wasn't to be more flexible. I needed uh, a way for my central nervous system to just unwind and be offline. And I don't think that's one of the common side effects (laughs) that yoga is known for, is like turning that off. And so no, I was never an athlete that was like, no, I don't need to stretch. That wasn't me. (laughs) But I also didn't know how expansive the practice was until I really did my deep dive into it.
0: So after you won your gold medal, were any of your teammates like, oh, hey, what is this yoga thing?
1: Uh, Not after, I think... As I became more open and I started to share uh, what the journey, well, my journey looks like, like on Instagram and Facebook and across all those other social media platforms, as people began to see that yoga was not just a class I was going to once a week, as they saw how much I do of it and how uh, much I embody the philosophy of it, then occasionally they'll they'll ask like, um, "What should I do for this?" or uh, what's the where's the best place to start or can we uh, next time we're in the same place, can you do a yoga class for a yoga session for me? And so the curiosity is there because they see it and obviously they see the effect that it has and it's not just that I'm becoming more flexible. Mm-hmm. They can really see how it's like mm-hmm. owed into other areas of my life. And I think people want that people just want that peace. Mm -hmm. I want that peace. Athletes don't have that because we're always in the pursuit of something else. And so that whole contentment and being happy with what is is really difficult for us and hard to balance. And at least when I'm on my mat, I feel that at least then I can I can have that feeling.
0: Don't go anywhere. The Yoga Show will be right back. When I left here last time, um, it was beginning of March, and COVID was starting to pick up, but mass events weren't getting canceled quite yet, and you and I talked that we'd heard some rumblings that the Olympics might get postponed, but it was very unclear at the time. So what were the following weeks like um, after I left? You had just begun training again after your surgeries, and take us from there.
1: Yeah. So there was supposed to be an indoor world championship scheduled for Nanjing, China in March. And then that was canceled. And I think they obviously had to do it because it was a hot spot for one of the hot spots, you know, for the virus. After that, it became a slow roll of cancellations. And we... Try to train normally, but then school started to close and the track was padlocked and the gym shut down. And it was just like a very slow closing of everything that we needed to kind of prepare moving forward. The last thing to happen was the Olympics got postponed. It was like the very last piece of news. So even despite everything shutting down around us, the uh, Olympic committee was still like, no, no, we're going to go ahead. Everything's fine. (laughs) Don't worry. And finally, um, maybe... A month to six weeks into the shelter in place here in the Bay Area, we finally got word that the Olympics would be postponed. So it's a long wait.
0: Something that shocked me that you told me over the phone was that you found out that the Olympics were postponed just by reading the headlines in the news.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Part of my morning ritual, which I'm slightly ashamed to say, is that I scroll my twitter timeline like after meditation (laughs) and that was that was where i i just saw saw the headline like oh the olympics will be postponed it wasn't an email from the federation or like any team usa representatives it was just had i not done that i wouldn't have known maybe until later in the day when the other news sources picked up on it
0: so do you think your yoga practice and your meditation practice and all the lessons you've learned um as a yogi affected the way that you were immediately able to frame the delay in your mind?
1: I think so, because the practice teaches us how to just be with what is, right? And to not really have a reaction so much either way, to not judge the things that are happening, but to really go with the flow. And so even despite how tragic it is, the loss of life and the loss of incomes and families being separated and relationships ruined, you know, you look at that situation and you say, okay, this is what it is. And you do what you have to do in that situation. And so for me in my very specific situation, I just, I saw that it also for me was a gift of time Mm -hmm. and that I could, not squander it i could use it to my benefit and so you just go with the flow and had i not been basically steeped like a teabag in my yoga practice at this point i would not have had such a, a positive or healthy reaction to something so devastating so what did how did you feel when you saw that headline my immediate reaction was like oh my goodness i can defend my title Which sounds crazy, but all I had been hoping for Mm -hmm. and wishing for and needing was more time. Right. And that's exactly what I got with that announcement.
0: Because your whole training season was basically effed
1: up. (laughs) Yeah, basically because what elite athletes who need to be at their best in July and August for championships like the Olympic Games start training in October of the previous year
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i didn't start training until we spoke in february so i was very behind and it was i won't say it was an impossible feat but it was yeah overwhelming Uh
0: (laughs) so we've been talking a lot about energy both for this podcast and the issue of the magazine which you are gracing the cover of very exciting And something that we've been hearing a lot about lately is the possibility of when sporting events start to open up again, there will be no crowds. And we're curious about how is that going to change the energy, especially for a professional athlete like yourself?
1: It's going to be so tough because on the one hand, you're like, I just want to get back out there and play because this is what I do. This is what I train for. It's a lifestyle and it's my career. but I experienced something totally different when there's people in the crowd. So so going back to Rio Olympics, I didn't necessarily hear or see all of the faces in the crowd, but I could feel the energy going into the stadium. I could feel like just the suspense of everybody waiting with bated breath to see what was going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine what that same stadium would feel like with none of those things. And of course, I mean, I will be very happy to get back out there and jump and compete, but it will not be the same. It just won't. We ran that uh, relay by ourselves in, in Rio with no competition. And because it was an extra event due to the controversy of us getting disqualified earlier in the day, there weren't as many people in the stadium. And you could hear everything, like birds and buzzing from moths. And it was just like very creepy and unsettling and I think every competition will feel like that moving forward until we can get our fans back
0: and how did that affect your performance on the day
1: we still nailed it (laughs) (laughs) it worked out we won gold at the end of all that but it was very different experience and made it a harder a harder race to run
0: how did you guys get disqualified
1: we in the first round were impeded by Brazil. So one of Brazil's runners hit our runner and she dropped the baton as oh, a result. Yeah. yeah. And so to rectify that, we had to race and basically do a time trial by ourselves. Gotcha. To get back into the final. Okay. So there's this thing I call the turn up factor. And it's basically what happens to an athlete when they step into a full stadium. There's this adrenaline rush and there's this like pressure to really, really turn up and compete at a higher level. And I'm that athlete that has a turn up factor of like a thousand. And so (laughs) I'm kind of worried about what what kind of performances I would get with without having a stadium that's vibrating and buzzing with that energy.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for opening your home to us and talking to us today. This has been great. Where can people find more of you?
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've had a great time. Uh, you can follow on Instagram at Tiana.Bartoletta or on Twitter at T.I.Bartoletta or Facebook at Tiana B. I'm on all the things. And then you can follow my blog
0: at TianaB.com. And is it B-E-E? Yes. Great. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Tiana for opening her home to us not once but twice. Check out some of her writing at tianabee.com. That's T-I-A-N-N-A-B-E-E ecom Or follow her on Instagram, at tiana.bartoletta. That's it for this episode. Find us on social media at Yoga Journal. And you can follow me at lins.tucker, that's Linz with a D, on Instagram for more from Yoga Journal and beyond. The Yoga Show is produced by me and Aviv Rubenstein. Follow him on social media at Rambo Calrissian. The music by Katie Canavan. More from her at Accordion to Katie on Instagram. Until next time, for The Yoga Show, I'm Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat. If you're looking for ways to decompress while discovering fresh perspectives on yoga and wellness, tune into our sister podcast, Why Now? Hosts Monica and Cameron talk to yogis from around the country on the intersections of self-care, social justice, relationships, and more. Find it at yogajournal.com podcasts.